Chapter 12 Nenanaba The Nabeho Revenge The nonsense of the war declared upon the Nabeho people was burned into the minds of the war leaders. They could not believe the white soldiers, the new enemy, were not bound by the rules of warfare to which all but Seishtliji, the ones with tanned skin, Indian warriors silently vowed to abide by. These new soldiers could not be called warriors. The soldiers certainly could not be an enemy. A Nabehonabahi warrior would be proud to have fought against. Nabeho warriors would never declare war against children, nor would they declare war against women, pregnant women, and older women. Almost all but Seishtliji, Indian warriors were bound by a code of conduct that limited the direction of their warfare tactics to men and young men who had been trained to be warriors. All but Seishtliji Indian warriors knew that if they killed the women and children, all but Seishtliji Indian people would disappear from the land, never to be heard from again. But Seishtliji Indians were selected by the Creator to be the caretakers of the land. Who would take care of the land if all but Seishtliji Indians were to disappear from the land. This question was at the forefront of the teachings of warfare among the Bitsa'ishtliji Indian leaders. Hashkehilnabas Nabeho warriors could not understand how Apache and Ute and other Indian scouts could have been so corrupted by the white soldiers to the point where they were willing to kill women and children. One of them nearly killed their kind leader's wife. The heart of the Apache and Ute warriors have become white, just like the white soldiers. The Nabeho leaders said, as they attempted to rationalize the actions of the Apache and Ute warriors, the scouts were even willing to help force the Nabehua people off of the land they cherished, only to leave it exposed and ready for the taking by the enemy soldiers. The soldiers with white skin, whom Ninanaba's oldest son had told them about, had now come to Zilijin, Black Mesa, with more soldiers and had begun the shocking and horrifying practice of burning the Hogan, Hogans, and Ramadas of the Nabeho people. Some homes were burned with the Nabeho families trapped inside. Reports of the frightening assaults upon the Nabeho were coming in daily. Hashkehilnaba and other war leaders felt an immeasurable sense of responsibility in their efforts to ensure the survival of Nabeho women and children. Women and children found themselves running at night to get away from the Na'e, the enemy who wanted nothing but to inflict pain and death upon them. 
When the women gave accounts of what they had endured, they did not want to live. It seemed the enemies of the Nabeho enjoyed terrifying women and children, the women were heard to say over and over. The people called this time a time when the people were chased and they ran for their lives. Nananaba mourned the deaths of many of her relatives and acquaintances. She had fought with the enemy and had survived. She had seen death. She was not afraid of the white soldiers. She had experienced worse. She had experienced the kidnapping of her daughters and the death of her mother. She made a vow that she was going to live and see her beautiful daughters, Ned Yajanazbat and Zanabat, and her little grandson. Nenanabat smiled at the thought of a grandson. Her heart ached for the little one. She willed her little grandson to be strong. The leaders and warriors knew how much Hashke, Yilnaba, and Nenanabat had suffered. They also discussed the fact that the new enemy, the white soldiers, did not have a code of conduct, and in doing so, they were much like the Spaniards and the Mexicans who stole and kidnapped women and children to sell on the Indian slave markets. The leaders discussed the methods the white soldiers used against the Nabeho people to force them to surrender to the white soldiers. The soldiers even declared war against the environment. The soldier who went to war with hate, the one they called rope thrower, Kit Carson, had come to the base of Zilajin, Black Mesa, along with his soldiers. They burned the Nabeho cornfields and fruit orchards and herbs and wild plants. To make the fire spread over a large area, they set fire to the tail of rodents, and as the rodents tried to frantically outrun their burning tail, the vegetation the Nabeho people depended upon also caught fire. Nabeho women told their children, a man who hates that much is one who also hated his birth. The Nabeho warriors and leaders could not understand how a warrior could be proud of making war against harmless and helpless animals and elements of the environment. These were methods a Nabeho warrior would never employ in warfare. If a Nabeho warrior conducted warfare in such a way his life would be declared meaningless, and he would be a person who could not be trusted as a warrior because he brought shame on the Nabeho ethics of warfare. The warrior would then lose his status as a warrior. Hashkeh and his warriors did get a certain amount of revenge. Hashkeh held meetings with his Nabeho warriors of Zizajin, Black Mesa. They had to protect their women and children. Under the direction of Hashkeh Yilnaba, his warriors made sure 
they hid all the women and children in caves and ravines. Hashkehyathnapa asked the women to make an herbal drink to give to their little ones that would put the babies and small children into a deep sleep. The women were then supplied with jerky and water contained in jugs made of coiled sumac branches and pitch. Without looking back, the Nabeho warriors rode their horses to the area where the enemy had been seen terrorizing the Nabeho women and children. The warriors had to get the attention of their enemy. The white soldiers and the Apache and Ute scouts took the bait. The enemy, hungry for Nabeho blood, began chasing the warriors. The Nabeho warriors stayed away from the flat, rocky areas because they wanted their enemy to see the clouds of dust that rose in the air caused by the racing horses so as not to lose the trail of the warriors. After riding through valleys and over hills with their enemy close behind but out of shooting distance, the Nabeho warriors watched for the signal of their kind leader of war. They remembered the words of their leader who said, Nihik a baha danosin, use your arrows sparingly. Don't shoot your arrows at random things. The Nabeho warriors sent just a few arrows speeding at their enemy, only for the purpose of keeping their enemy from giving up the chase. The soldiers' horses were slow, heavy, and lazy, so the Nabeho warriors were told to ride their horses at a slower speed to make sure they would not outrun their enemy as they rode their horses through the trees. While still at home and during the meeting of the leaders in which they discussed war tactics, Hashkehilnaba was heard to say, Nihinago atahot ehegi behak etadadid lel. Ya atez ago indadse betago tlin nihilndadoja. Vilta ahijigani do bataho ini tanihiketlin bilteijeto. We will subdue them by using our environment. When the sun begins to go down, then you can run your horses toward the cliff while the soldiers and their scouts follow you on their horses. Without warning, turn your horses northward toward the edge of the cliff. Without a second thought, just before you reach the edge of the cliff, turn your horses abruptly to the right or to the left. Allow the soldiers and their scouts to continue riding 
their horses straight for the cliff. They will ride their horses right off of the cliff. You will not have to shoot one arrow. With the words of their kind leader still in their ears, the warriors urged their horses through the valley and over the hills. Without warning, Hashkeh Yilnapa turned his horse abruptly northward toward the sheer steep cliff. The warriors followed the action of their kind leader and turned their horses toward the sheer northern cliff that abruptly ended the northern boundary of Zilajin, Black Mesa. The terrain was rough and the soldiers' horses were tired. Without warning, Hashkeh Yilnapa turned his horse abruptly to the right. His youngest son swiftly followed the actions of his father. Each Nabeho warrior only had seconds to respond because they were only a few yards away from the sheer edge of the cliff that meant assured death if they continued forward. The well-trained warriors also suddenly turned their horses to the right or to the left, confusing their enemies. Their enemy soldiers and their Apache and Ute scouts, who were more intent upon capturing the Nabehua warriors, did not realize they had ridden their horses to the edge of a sheer cliff. Hashkeh Yilnapa and his warriors stopped their horses just in time to watch their enemies ride their horses right off from the edge of the high cliff. The white soldiers, with a wild look on their faces and their eyes open wide, screamed as they went flying over the edge. The wind picked up their hats and batted them around playfully above the falling soldiers. The Apache and Ute scouts tried in vain to stop their horses in time. Instead, they silently went flying over the edge. The wind picked up their long black hair and lifted their hair high into the air. The horses of the soldiers and the scouts shrieked as they flew toward the ground while their rider was floating above them. The Nabeho warriors could only hear bodies hitting the ground with a faint thud. The kind leader of the Nabeho warriors was right. No one had to waste one arrow on their mean, useless enemy. Hashkeh Yilnapa and his warriors did get a certain amount of revenge. The warriors retraced their tracks to pick up arrows they had shot into the air to keep up the chase. In this fight, their kind leader protected his warriors from the blood of the enemy. The warriors did not have the blood of the enemy on their hands. Their enemies chased themselves right off the cliff. More soldiers came to the base of Zizlajin, Black Mesa, with the intent of rounding up the Nabehua people and sending them to Fort Defiance or Fort Fauntleroy, Fort Wingate, and from there onward to Fort Sumner in eastern New Mexico. The complaints were coming in of their raids. The Nabeho warriors were conveniently blamed. The savage Navajos have to be stopped, an army officer demanded. 
all Navajo raiders have to be punished before they take their raiding practices into Mexico again, causing the Mexican government to accuse our United States government of lying and breaking the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, the army officers were reminded. It had been over ten years since the treaty had been negotiated and signed between the two governments. The Nabejo leaders did not want to leave the area of the four sacred mountains, the land that was given to them from the beginning of time. More and more Nabejo people were being tortured into submission, rounded up, and forced to surrender by destroying their livelihood and ultimately forced to become prisoners of war.